Welcome to the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, welcome back. I am very excited about today's guest. I'm here with Vidir Ragnason of Reykjavik Energy. Vidir, how are you doing? Thank you, Al. I'm doing very good. All right. Hey, thanks for joining me today. I mean, you now contributed to FAL conference a couple of times and you have had great things to share. And since then, obviously, the world has been, you know, flipped upside down and, you know, you have some stories to tell about how you've responded. So if you would, please introduce yourself and we'll get started. Yeah, thank you. Well, my name is Vidir Ragnarsson and I'm the group head of People Analytics here at the Regular Energy in Iceland, and that is a company of 600 employees. We have utilities for kind of, well, 70% of of the country providing hot and cold water and energy. We also have a subsidiary that is uh, overseeing the fiber network. And our newest company is uh, CarbFix. So that is uh, trying to solve the climate issues by capturing CO2 in the environment and pumping it down into the earth, into rocks. Wow. So that's very impressive and, and fun to follow. I'll say. <laughs> now, yeah, let's just jump right into it because you've done everything from you know, pay equality. And I really like the way you've positioned the work that you do. And it aligns with Dr. Jeffrey Pfeffer talked about in San Francisco. And I know you were there for that, where he talked about our role, not only in people analytics, but in HR and arguably leadership is around well-being. And you talk about healthier workplaces. And in fact, that's the way you market yourself. So can you speak to, you know, where you are now and how you're responding to the global health crisis for us all? Yeah. So, well, Iceland is kind of over COVID-19, at least first phase. So uh, I think it's uh, the new numbers is that six people are infected in the country. Wow. And when there were... Most of us infected, we were around 1,800, 10 are dead. So it was within 1% of the nation that got infected. Um, We tracked uh, everyone that got infected uh, from the last two weeks and everyone they met. We had a special team and all of those people were put into quarantine. So that was a way of flattening the curve. it seems to have worked. We announced yesterday that they are opening up the country for foreign flights uh, from the 15th of June, and people will be tested at the airport. So it looks that like that we are going rather fast back to normal. Of course, the economic consequences are, are big here, as everywhere. Uh, we have uh, been building up tourism uh, for the last 10 years, and that is uh, totally at the stall now. But in this company, we began uh, preparing ourselves uh, in January. So if the possibility of a crisis, of pandemic would come through, we prepared us with, uh, well, listening up the people and updating our registry of essential employees and organizing who would work together and who are necessary to work together because of this work we do. It, it, we can't let the certain people, all of certain groups, get infected. Uh, that would be very harmful for the, the operations and the safety of a nation, basically. So we began planning in January, and that was 
proved to be really good. In the beginning of March, the first Icelander got infected. And uh, from that day, we banned every trip of our employees out of the country. Mm. That is in work-related things. And we cut off all meetings from within the company with above 20 people and recommended to our employees not to go into meeting outside of the company. So, and that was basically uh, two weeks before the country was uh, taking these actions for all the other people. And we started uh, working from home, sending all employees home one week before uh, the emergency state of emergency was declared in the whole country. In terms of, well, it was, it was uh, a little bit difficult, of course, like, uh, you know, all that uh, well, planning this and uh, getting the equipment uh, to and from the workplace and to the homes and uh, transferring people to the home. But it, we managed and none yeah. of our employees got very sick. Few got sick, but none very sick. All right, that's great to hear. And uh, you know, if I can jump in here, because what I'm hearing is that the leadership team had awareness of how their actions were going to affect the broader society, the broader community. So there was a level of understanding of how the system was going to function, that they had a greater responsibility. The other thing that I'm going to ask you about is twofold. Who was actually in the room? Like you've been doing this for a while there at Reykjavik Energy. You know, did the number of people in the room change that were actually consuming your data? In other words, was it facilities? Was it people who, you know, just were formally met with maybe once a year? Now are you meeting more frequently? And the follow-on question is the data. Where you and I have connected early on is you know, even with fair pay, is that you need to create what I would call appropriate data to answer the question that was before you. And now I understand that you're seeking appropriate data, not only there at Reykjavik Energy, but there in your country, so you can safely expand the work rules and so forth. So can you speak to those two elements, the the frequency and who's in the room and also the data? Yeah, well, the beginning phase in the January depended a lot of, on the data we have been collecting and we have been uh, working with. So that data was available and that made this work and this planning much easier. In the room is a kind of, well, an emergency committee of the company. And that is the C-shoot, uh, the uh, so main manager and, and some specialists that are uh, well, in, in control of the control room and keeping the, the work flowing. The uh, well level of data which we had to had to provide was at least much faster. And we were answering on another question that regularly. In uh, the beginning of April, we uh, put out a survey to all employees where we were asking about, well, how they were feeling. And how is the situation at home? How are you coping? What is going fine and what is not working? And we use that as a guidance to, uh, well, roll out the next phase of our actions in terms of the employment. What was, uh, well, surprising to a lot of people was that uh, many of the respondents, over 40% of the respondents, 
said they were feeling better than uh, normally. And there was something in that that we, we would like to know more about. What is better? What is functioning better? Why are you feeling better? Is it because you have more control over your work? Is it because you are have more focus? Is it because there were some answers that uh, laid uh, unanswered there? And there were 18% of people that were feeling worse. We don't know. We have, don't have a benchmark for that question. If, you, if I would ask you in a normal situation, I doubt that all our employees would say, well, I feel like normally. So there is some distribution of that. But uh, we follow that up with another survey two weeks later. And there we dwelled more into, well, it's more of open-ended questions. And the same question, how are you feeling? There were basically more people feeling better. Uh, those people that were feeling worse were mostly uh, women, young women and young people. And it was mostly attributable to, well, the crisis as such. So having kids at home and struggling with a home that suddenly has become a, a school, a workplace for two or three and all that stuff. So... And that was a well, kind of a demand from our management team that we sent out the questionnaires on uh, Wednesday, closed it on Friday, and on Monday morning the management team was uh, uh, having their uh, benchmarks on dashboards with uh, the results of the of the survey and analyzing what had to be done. So the speed of delivering the data was. Uh, well, much faster. Impressive. <laughs> Impressive is what it was. <laughs> and, you know, go ahead, I'm sorry. So we have been very, well, kind of, it has been, when you have used data and shown the management team for so long time that you don't guess about things, you use data. And so you just don't say, well, I think it's because of this. You, you can't allow us that. We have to get more data. And the way we do that now, it's not acceptable to get that in a month. So we need to get the answers right away. So that means doing things faster. And well, we have a better technology today to make that happen. And out of this last survey we did, we have put together a group now that I am leading and that looks at the opportunities for more flexibility in the work. So taking steps to adjust work and design work in a better way. Yeah, I was going to ask you, let me jump in real quick, because I, I want to emphasize this point before you continue, because what I heard is that you had already built the relationship equity or and the trust among leaders by doing what you've yeah. done historically. And now when this crisis happens, you're using COVID-19 data, you're getting new data on how people are doing, you know, how they're thinking and feeling. And now you have a audience that is meeting more frequently. And now you're getting into this topic of work design or, or work strategy on how work is going to get done in the future. Yeah. So is that an accurate recap? Yeah, I would say that, say that. And I think, well, in terms of my story within the company, I've been here for nine years and it's a uh, Coincidence, but uh, me and the current CEO, we were hired in the same month. So 
you have to earn the trust of the management team and you have to have management and, and the C-suite that is, well, analysis that this is the way to do it. And well, he said, well, I am the uh, responsible for this data and for presenting it and asking the right question and answering the other questions that comes up. And through this presentation of data and working with data, data-driven focus in the work, you build that trust. So that is coming back to us now that uh, we have built this in the company for uh, such a long time. Good for you. And now you're at this point where it's not about just for analytics sake, not workforce planning, just for planning sake. You've actually, and I was excited when we talked about it prior to this, is work design. So I'm really big on this notion of perpetual work design in the future of work because we have digitization, outsource providers. We're going to use contractors as well as employees. People are going to work from home. They're going to go to co-working places. They're going to come back to the office or location. So this is going to happen ongoing and it's not going to be a static state. So what I hear you doing there is developing infrastructure and processes that are going to enable this ongoing perpetual work design. Can you speak to that? Yeah, we started this work, well, kind of one year ago when we were looking at the opportunities uh, called it the opportunities of the future. And we did our interviews with our managers and we sent out a questionnaire to the groups. Um, then we had a workshop with different groups, not the managers, but with different groups within the company serving in similar roles. So together, well, we were having a primer discussion and the presentation on how we saw the development of the technology and uh, all that in that sphere, uh, getting the people to uh, discuss it with us and to discuss it together. So breaking up the, the silos in the, in the company that was a part of it and uh, getting people to, well, think, uh, how will the technology and the changes that are happening in technology change my work and what are the opportunities. We're also uh, doing this to evaluate the need for uh, training and education and such. So in this COVID situation, we were kind of seeing, well, we didn't uh, saw this coming. We didn't saw this change coming. You're not alone. (laughs) um, And uh, I'm picking up up from... uh, you and your presentation on the online event uh, in London, but and uh, Josh Bersin also and some other that uh, are focusing on uh, resilience in leadership and in companies. So not only the uh, technological changes, but also uh, the role of leaders in uh, creating a resilient organization and uh, being well, focused on technology and also having the uh, ability to communicate uh, with their people and uh, lead their way in that way. So that is another aspect of this COVID-19 crisis that has given us a new focus in this work. How are our leaders ready to lead the people, not only in technological changes, but in environmental changes and, and social changes? 
and I am uh, leading a group now that is looking at uh, what is the capabilities of this uh, company to uh, be more flexible. People are coming. What changes now? I can take one example is that uh, people uh, drove from uh, the other side of town to pick up a car to go work on an assignment that was just close to their home. In the COVID-19 crisis, we said, well, you just take the car to your home. Um, So is that something we are going to change uh, forever? And what is the implication of that? That's a lot to do with trust. A lot of people are asking us to work more from home. So we have to kind of, well, looking at the cost and benefits of that and creating some structures around that. The other changes and people are, uh, well, asking for and and, uh, is creating a better experience of what work is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're getting me excited because, you know, what not only resilience is important, and thank you for the kind words and call out there. One of the things that I'm going to be writing about here shortly is this notion of elasticity. You talked about flexibility. The elasticity by definition means that we can flex, that we can contract, we can expand, not only at individual levels, given where we are stage of life, you know, do we have a young family, you know, are we, are kids off, you know, to, you know, in their own lives? What is my personal situation? Because that's going to inform my capacity. So my question, and it goes back to this well-being and healthier workplaces, which you are committed to individually and your organization is committed to, you know, just to bring it down a level, you mentioned that you're surveying employees. Are you subsequently doing focus groups or things like that where you can get their ideas on how the you know, future of work will look for them or how they want it to look? And then that inform your strategy moving forward? Can, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, we are uh, gathering together uh, different players in this. And well, you have to have the conversation with the people. We in the uh, HR or the analytics uh, uh, function, we are not going to say you how it is. The future is... Uh, when you change the future and the future changes you or the present. So we are doing questionnaires and we are also doing some focus workshops and such to make this discussion uh, alive. So actually these days I, I am uh, planning the next phase in that, uh, that assignment. You know, with that in mind, there's two more things that I want to make sure that we touch on before we wrap it. And that's number one, what's your team look like? What does your capability with tools, you know, look like? Because, you know, as we talk about the future of work and designing, you know, like in this place where budgets are tightening and we have to make decisions with, you know, scarce resources. So are you leveraging you know, everything that you have now and nothing's going to be new? And if so, you know, what's working for you? Because again, you know, if I'm a listener, I'm like, oh yeah, this is really cool, but (laughs) I don't have this and I'm not going to get that. I have to make do with what I have, both in terms of people, process, technology, you know, the governance structure can change, but you know, those three pillars, you know, arguably might be more static, you know, moving forward. So can you speak to, you know, how your team's structured and the technologies that you're using? Yeah. The analytical team is, uh, you're looking at it. (laughs) 
congratulations. <laughs> there was yeah. the implication that you had like a whole army behind you. So you're yeah, doing well. No. So, but well, I'm not alone in that respect, but uh, I am part of the HR team. And my supervisor is the chief of uh, HR. And uh, we are also situated in, uh, well, it's HR, it's facilities. So we are trying to combine the whole employee experience that uh, you have as an employee of this company. It's in, uh, well, it's governed in one hand. Are are you calling it that, if you don't mind me interrupting? Are you calling it employee experience? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And the situation, uh, well, the the function uh, or the, is called uh, HR and uh, culture. So that is the formal title. But in our working languages, we are calling it the employee experience. So I'm in uh, charts and uh, doing most of the uh, analytics on pay and HR data in good cooperation with the finance department. And I also have a good relationship with the team that is uh, with the business intelligence. So we are just using the HR system, uh, taking that into data warehouse. And uh, there I'm uh, taking out the data and uh, putting it in in Tableau in dashboards. That's what uh, I'm using the most. So um, we have, uh, well, like like a junior uh, pay analyst also. And that is very, very helpful. And we have been building with a company called Pay Analytics, uh, a uh, pay salary advisor. So we are making our HR business partners more uh, well capable to uh, analyze data within the structure we have built around pay in this company. And they are, well, kind of using that and our structure to... Uh, find out the salary, what's the correct Got salary. It. And so what I hear is that the reporting, particularly around pay, is delegated to someone who's a bit more junior, so you can actually focus on the analytics and storytelling. Is that right? Yeah. And it also invites the question, when you, and again, this is going to be where we start to wrap up, is the word I use is governance. You mentioned a you know, crisis committee. So my pointed question is, with digital transformation, employee experience, culture, analytics, you know, all this stuff, you know, is it starting to come together in a, you know, for you all as an organization? And is that team, that's the crisis team, do you see that being an ongoing governance body that now is more cohesive and integrated as a result of COVID-19? Well, the uh, crisis committee has been here for a long time. But the focus of the crisis committee has mainly been on the natural uh, disasters that could happen in in this country and the effects of that on uh, our uh, operations. So it could be uh, a lot of heat in the ground and we are utilizing that, but it can be very dangerous also. Uh, So their role well, has more now focused as everywhere else in on the people and uh, making sure that people are functioning so the company is functioning. So I see that as a little bit of a change for this uh, committee. But uh, serving uh, these governance functions with data is, is quite uh, 
it's quite advanced, I would say, in our company. And we are trying to combine all these uh, factors into, into one. Well, at least, at least as it looks uh, from the view of the employee, that uh, the employee is just talking to one unit. Got it. Yeah, that's important. Well, good for you all. And just a final qualifying question on that. Is the frequency in which that group is meeting, is that more? Are you meeting once a week, every two weeks? I mean, how often is that group getting together to modify decisions and move forward you know, together? This uh, emergency group or, or our group? Uh, both, actually. Yeah, the emergency group met once a day through this crisis, is now meeting three times a week, and will probably throughout the summer meet. Well, we'll just see how this, how long it will be needed, but they are also planning and we're helping them to plan the changes to the workplace. So that is something that will be done at least once a week. Our team that is uh, holding this all together, we are with daily meetings. So combining our forces and... And And is that different from before? How frequently did you meet before? The unit is... uh, New, it was uh, combined in uh, November, and these regular meetings are, are kind of from February. You know, there's so much more we could talk about. You know, the fair pay work that you've done, I mean, we can point to the session that you've done at Pafau, so I'll make sure we put that in the comments below. But I just want to thank you. Not only thank you for sharing time with me and your insights and ideas, but also, you know, for your values and bringing those values to life, you know, through your work. You know, it is, I think, a model for others to follow. And so, you know, congratulations and thank you. Super appreciate uh, you being here. Now, how can people learn more about you and your work? Well, thank you so much for your kind words. I think the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm under the linkedin.com fair pay. So (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Very appropriate. Yeah. I managed to get that. Uh, so in my LinkedIn page, you can contact me and please connect to me. And I'm happy to share and learn from you all. All right. Again, Vidir, super appreciate you being here and all the best moving forward. Hope to see you there maybe before too long since you all are opening up. So I might be in your neighborhood. We'll see. Yeah, hope so. All right. Thank you. All right. Be well. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.